Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Backhurst, and today's guest is Mark Renison. He's a professional pickleball co coach. Mark, your first, my first pickleball person on the show. So, welcome, congratulations. If you wouldn't oh, mind, thanks, Tim. I'm happy to be here. Share a little bit about how you got into to coaching pickleball. Sure. I mean, uh, for me, believe it or not, this really is an accidental business. Um, I had been a tennis coach for, uh, let's say, pushing 20 years uh, back in 2014. And I moved from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada to my small town of Collingwood, which is a couple hours north of Toronto, discovered pickleball. And um, you know what? Thought that there was maybe an opportunity there because uh, pickleball really seemed, I mean, this was seven years ago, really seemed to be growing quickly. And at least from what I could tell, there weren't a whole lot of professional coaches there. There were a lot of people who were really nice, well-meaning volunteers doing the best they could, helping people to learn, but not really people that had a skill set of being a professional coach. And having come from the pretty serious tennis coaching background, um, I thought there was maybe an opportunity there. So lo and behold, um, started offering some pickleball lessons that it was a bit like pulling teeth at first to get people to come out and be willing to pay money for pickleball lessons. Um, but it sort of evolved and they had a good experience and they told their friends and next thing you know, the groups grew and fast forward, uh, you know, three quarters of a decade. And here we are um, doing this full time, traveling all over North America. Well, we'll talk about the business of coaching in a little bit, because I think that's an interesting area. But uh, when we talk about coaching pickleball, are you coaching you know, the average player like myself, are you coaching the professionals on tour, a bit of everything? How, how are you, how are you doing this job to make a living of it? Yeah. So we really have sort of a few different, um, a few different branches of the business, I guess I would say. And when it comes to me coaching and working with players, uh, the majority of them, it's sort of like a bell curve, right? The majority of them are what we would consider those intermediate players, right? The 3.0 or 3.5 players, even the 4.0 and up. Um, there are some times that I do some contract work for some of the, the pro level players who think that I might be able to offer some insight. Uh, but when it comes to sort of the bread and butter of, of the coaching side of my business, it is working with those um those intermediate players who either want to get better because they want to start competing more or at a higher level or people who are, you know, recreational players, but feel like they've sort of plateaued and that mm -hmm. they're interested in getting better. So I'd say the majority of the work that I'm doing is with those kind of intermediate players, right? So the middle of that bell curve. Um, but we also do some work on those higher ends when it comes to working with brand new players. I mean, believe it or not, I just, I came from working with four brand new players just now. Um, that's something that we do, but I would say on a much on a smaller scale, they, there's typically local coaches uh, in communities or instructors or even just volunteers who kind of get those people started. But it's really those people who play but want to play better that we do most of our work with. Hmm. When you said you do contract coaching contracts with kind of the professional athlete. How does, how does that look? Is it you just come in and look at their game for a certain period of time? Are you looking at their whole perspective as an athlete? What do you actually do in order to help them become better? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, I mean, it, it really varies from, from person to person. So in some cases, I think of one person in particular, uh, she found that um, she really wanted my 
uh, us to work together from a, a singles pickleball perspective, right? One-on-one. -on -one. And she really felt like she was, she was good. She was sort of like a mid-range player, right? Of the top 10, she was sort of mid-range, um, but she ne can never quite get over that hump. And there were certain players that she always sort of couldn't quite get past. And, you know, between um, chatting in person or sometimes listening to the, you know, the work that I do, whether it's video work or commentary work or our podcast work, she thought, hey, maybe he can help me out. And so we had a couple meetings, um, you know, this was sort of going into COVID, uh, a couple meetings to kind of talk about it. And we figured out an arrangement and how it would work. And really what I did in this case, I had a sense of what, what it was that she needed. But, um, you know, a lot of the time the elite players, like they want data to back it up. They don't want just your opinion. They want to see, mm -hmm. show me. Mm -hmm. And so I spent quite a lot of work going through video of her playing either, I don't want to say her nemesis, but either um, the player that she was sort of stuck against or either, even other matches and kind of highlighting, um, hey, when you do this thing, the results are not typically good. Mm. Right? For example, if you're, you're, you're reluctant to come forward and move toward the net, right? Results aren't typically good. And in the end, the first one of you who does come forward, like things, good things tend to happen. But then sort of contrasting that with when she did those good things and say, look, like you've got this in you, right? Just needed, needed a little bit of a push. So it really varies from player to player. Sometimes it's, um, you know, it's individuals who want to work together. Sometimes it's as a team. Sometimes it's getting ready for a particular tournament. Um, so with those, those higher level players, it's usually like a really specific kind of task, um, which is quite different from, you know, when I'm traveling to wherever, and we're offering three days of, of a camp or clinic. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and just a reminder, if you're watching, if you have a question for Mark, just put it in your chat box. We'll try and get it to him. We've got one in here and it ties in with your coaching. And it's, is it is it difficult working with an individual when they play mostly doubles, given the fact you're working with the individual, not necessarily the team? So how does that work when you've, you know, it's doubles is, you're really reliant on your teammate they may be coached by someone else completely. Yeah, so that is, um, I mean, doubles is always interesting for any sort of sport, right? Is there's only so much you can work on in terms of a, a player's individual skills, right? Because there's also this whole element of chemistry, right? Or how teams play together. So that's why it's great when you are able to work. And I've had a lot of situations where people have come to me as a team, right? Hey, we're going to make a trip of it or or whatever, and we're gonna work with you as a team together. Um, that being said, I mean, there's a whole set of really valuable fundamental pickleball skills that regardless of how good your chemistry might be with a partner, if you can't hit certain fundamental shots in certain fundamental situations, mm -hmm. then the chemistry doesn't really matter that much, right? <laughs> sure, maybe they make you feel good after you blow the shot and put it in the net or hit it three feet long, but you're still lost. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think part of when I'm in that situation, um, with a player who I know is, is working with another partner and they're getting ready for a tournament or something like that, we say, okay, what are the things that we can control and we can work on here? Right. Um, and typically those would be technical skills or those would be tactical skills. I've even had situations where, um, I would work with a player and then we would set up another time afterwards where we get on a zoom call or something like that. And the player and I that we work together would be there along with the partner. And we would sort of go over some of the things that we discussed. So 
it's a little bit tricky and it's always nice to be able to work um, with a team together. Uh, but sometimes it's not feasible. Yeah. When, when I first started <clears throat> getting involved in pickleball, I wanted to get certified as a coach because, <clears throat> excuse me, I do lessons here in, in Florida. And, and I came across your website, Pickleball Coaching International. And then I started coming across other websites with Mark Renison attached. And I was like, how does this guy juggle all of these different things that he's doing? No, um, no, how well, do you do it? I, <laughs> um, it's a challenge. And I mean, we have a, we've got a team. There's a few of us um, at the company that, that work in different roles. So my colleague, Kate Wilson, has been with us for a number of years and really is sort of my right-hand person. Um, she, along with my colleague, Lauren, uh, they allow me to do the thing that I'm um, sort of uniquely suited to do, right? And so working together as, as that team is really important. We have a couple other people that work part-time for us on different, different projects. Um, you know, we have, this whole industry of pickleball is so new and mm -hmm. is growing so quickly in so many different directions. You know, our tendency has always to, to sort of hedge and make two kinds of bets. One bet is that if, if we put out the highest quality product that we can, whatever that is that we're doing, whether it's, um, a video that we're making, whether it's, um, a video analysis project we're doing for someone, whether it's contract work that we're doing, whether it's being on the court coaching. If we put out the highest quality product that we can, we have faith that um, that people like it, they'll have a good experience, and that will help the business to continue to grow. At the same time, uh, we have also kind of defaulted toward, um, toward saying yes, right? When an opportunity or a potential opportunity presents itself, when we think that there might be you know, someone approaches us and says, hey, we think that there might be a partnership here. You know, we've just started um, we'll, uh, a partnership with Nike Pickleball. And so we're running 12 different pickleball camps over the course of the summer. And that's a big project to be able to do that. But we mm -hmm. think it's a good opportunity. And we have to make sure that we've got under control the things that we can control. Mm -hmm. But it's a team that does it. And it means, um, you know, like any entrepreneur, like, there aren't many off days and there's a lot of late nights and um, you know, not everything always works out the way you hope, but generally speaking, if we care about the quality of what we're doing and we're open-minded and we're eager to say yes and try something new, even if it's a bit of an experiment um, that generally has served us pretty well. Got a question coming for you in the chat box here in a minute, but I want to stick with that. You talked about the the late nights, the busyness, the the juggling many things. I, I was giving a presentation this morning to the entire coaches across one sport in the NCAA, and the topic was, can you talk to us about reducing stress and burnout? What are you doing to help alleviate the all the things that you're trying to juggle because it creates stress? How do you balance that that life that you should have versus the job that you have when the two often intermix together? So to be perfectly honest, it it is not balanced. Like I do not live a balanced <laughs> life right now. Fair enough. Um, and you could ask any of my colleagues. You could ask my wife. You could ask my kids. Um, there is not a lot of balance right now, and that, to be honest, is a problem. Um, I remember years ago when I started this business, 
um, I was lucky enough to get into a small a program here in my small town uh, that supported entrepreneurs in these new projects they were doing. And I remember going around the room and people were talking about, the question was like, how do you find balance? How do you take time for yourself? Avoid burnout, these good questions that you just asked. And I remember going around the room and listening to all these people saying all these things they were doing. And it was so foreign to me. Mm. And I said, I, I said, I don't, I don't, anything that you were doing here, I do not recognize as like something I do. And in part, and I think this is true about a lot of entrepreneurs, I think in some ways it's true for a lot of athletes. I think it's true for a lot of coaches, especially high performance coaches, where like a pretty significant motivator is fear right is fear that it's going to fail fear that it's going to collapse fear that you're not putting in the effort that the project deserves or the people relying on you deserve mm -hmm. and i think it's one of the reasons why when you look at elite athletes when you look at elite coaches when you look at successful entrepreneurs especially at the early stages of their business and i'd consider seven years in we're so early stage um in some ways, I kind of think if they are really balanced, I mean, I don't want to say that's a problem, but I do think that that's probably more than more of the exception than the rule. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons you hear about this all the time, why um, elite athletes end up sort of like in romantic relationships with each other, because I think that to be an elite athlete requires so much focus and so much time and i don't want to say narcissism but so much like worrying about yourself and your performance that it is very hard for someone who isn't in that world mm -hmm. to like be in a relationship with that person because it's mm -hmm. so foreign and so i felt really like a fish out of water uh there was one other guy in that group who like gave me this knowing look of like yeah i know what it's like to not sleep and always be worrying. I mean, I had a baby at the same time, um, you know, and I don't know where all of those entrepreneurs are now. You know, we always know like most businesses don't survive the first two years or whatever. But I remember thinking like, if I'm taking lots of time for like self-care, that is time that I'm not hustling and growing the business and making those calls and pushing and pushing and pushing. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I hope, you know, if I talk to you a year from now, especially, you know, now, really been sidetracked because of COVID. I wasn't able to travel nearly as much being here in Canada. And so now this summer is like a very busy summer where there's not a lot of balance. Um, but the hope is that you put in the effort now and you make the sacrifice now and then around the corner, things get better. And I guess sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. Yeah. And, and I think it's also important to recognize that this may be seasonal, not in terms of one year, but in terms of X number of years, you will be doing this, this, and this. But then once you've developed the infrastructure and the stability, maybe then you can start to delegate things and back off and maybe have a little bit more time for yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you mentioned this because this is really a conversation that we're having internally at work, like with my mm -hmm. staff, right? Is like, how do we find a way um, to avoid burnout, right? And so I mentioned earlier this partnership with Nike Pickleball Camps which is great and I'm very excited about. I mean, I think that's something we would like to maintain and we'd like it to, to be a positive experience for everybody. Part of that means is that these first dozen camps 
um, it means me being really hands-on with them, right? There's a team of coaches that are going to be delivering it and making sure that it's delivered with the kind of quality that we expect. And again, the belief is that if we do that well, then, you know, a year from now, when Nike Pickleball, if we're lucky, says, hey, we'd love to keep doing this, then, right, maybe now there's a chance to delegate a little bit and sort of the machine can keep going, um, but with sort of different people operating mm. it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Definitely a, a, a tough issue to to deal with as somebody who is, like you said, an entrepreneur and you're responsible, it, it falls on you. You can't rely on a greater organization or your boss, so to speak. Check, uh, question in the chat box then. Uh, I went through your coaching certification and I remember emailing you and asking you, when's level two? This mm -hmm. is a question that came up. You know, what decided, why, why did you decide to create your own certification program? And tell us a little bit about whether level two is coming. Yeah, so, um, so I mentioned earlier that I come from a tennis coaching background and as part of that tennis coaching, I spent 10 years working for Tennis Canada in their instructor certification program, delivering the instructor certification course around the country. So I was pretty familiar with um, a high quality coach education program and what that looked like to both develop and deliver. In pickleball, because this is a relatively new uh, domain, there wasn't a whole lot of coaching infrastructure out there, right? Coach education. Um, we thought there'd be an opportunity here and I had sort of the background and the skill set to be able to develop and deliver it. Unfortunately, just before we did, um, we discovered that another organization was out there and that's what they were doing. We thought, oh, maybe this isn't the right time to launch it, right? When these other guys are launching it and being based in the States and they'd already had sort of a whole bunch of well-known pros, not necessarily coaches, but well-known players supporting it. So we backed off a little bit as we got ready to, uh, to go forward with it, um, another, I mean, to be honest, I had gone through that program myself and I said, well, it's the only one out there. I'll give it a try. And it was a, it was a negative experience. Um, I thought that the, uh, the overall approach was poor. I thought that the, um, the kind of tactical skills that they were advocating instructors work on with their players. I think they didn't make sense. I think that it didn't meet the, the needs of the people where they were. I thought it was unrealistic in terms of um, of kind of the demands and the control that they were trying to place on instructors. So it, it wasn't for me. And I wrote something about this. It's called Why I'm Not a Certified Pickleball Coach. I read it. Yeah. And another organization then came out and they had theirs. And I thought, oh, okay. And I sort of took a look. And we decided strategically at the time, there were two brand new organizations offering pickleball coach certification. And we said, you know what? How about we do this? How about we let them fight it out for the market share for certification? But we're going to offer a, a third way. We're going to offer um, pickleball coach education. No certification, but here's going to be a program that if you're an instructor or you want to become one, you go to pickleballcoachinginternational.com and there's a whole bunch of resources there that you can access. And again, we thought they were high quality. We thought they were in line with when it comes to coaching best practices. So we let them fight out the certification battle and we offered education. And we had quite a few members initially who had done certification elsewhere and came to us and said, hey, I'm looking for a bit more. And so then they joined PCI, which was great. What happened though, is after a couple of years, we had so many members coming through PCI that said, look, this is good, but I'd love a certification program attached to PCI. 
And this is either because they needed it for work as the industry continues to grow, there continues to be more of a requirement and an expectation from mm -hmm. instructors. They've got um, certification, they get insurance, for example, or sometimes they just wanted it for themselves, right? For their own sort of satisfaction that they could go through a program. And so basically because of member demand, we said, all right, I guess we'll offer a certification pathway as well. People don't have to take it. They can come in and just live on the, the coach education side of things. But for people who are interested in the certification side, we offer that too. And we've had a number of our members who have done certification elsewhere and then come to PCI. And um, it's usually out of dissatisfaction. But uh, I'm happy that that we have found I'm happy that many of our members have found a home with us that maybe they haven't found elsewhere. The same way that years ago when I tried one of the other programs out there, I didn't feel at home there. It wasn't for me. The, the pedagogical approach was didn't match with what I knew to be good quality teaching. So that's kind of how we landed. And as far as the, you know, the level one course is entirely online. Um, although last week in Minneapolis, we did offer uh, an in-person session for the first time for the level one course. And then level two um, is uh, like 95% done. And we actually set a date for May 21st for it to come out. So that's just a couple weeks from now. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. we got a couple of questions in the chat box. <clears throat> I want to be thoughtful of your time and don't keep you too long. So we'll, we'll hopefully fly through these a little bit. Good question here from Lynn. Been asked to teach beginner pickleball to, to kids, nine to 12 year olds, never coached anything before. I'm, of course, you've coached children. Do you have advice on how to keep them engaged and interested? Right. Okay. So, um, yes, I, I mean, I've spent a ton of time coaching uh, kids in the past, mostly through tennis, but also now through pickleball. Plus, I have two children of my own. Um, so a couple of things out there is when I think it's a mistake when people talk about how children have like short attention spans. Um, my children, if you put on a particular TV show. It's what they're interested in. It is very clear that they have the attention span to sit there for mm -hmm. who knows how long to watch it, right? So long as they're interested in it. Mm -hmm. And so when kids lose interest in something, it's not because of their attention span, it's usually because what's being presented to them no longer appeals, right? So I think that, um, you know, on the PCI website, pcipickleball.com is the easy way to get to it. We have a whole free intro instructor program it's me on the court for 70 minutes with three brand new beginners. Now they are adults, but that kind of approach that we take where it's not me talking all the time, but it's them learning by doing, right? It's getting them involved. I'll give you a little example, Tim. I don't know how familiar you or your viewers are with lawn bowling. I am, believe lawn it or not, because right? I'm from England, right? I'm English. I know yeah, these you things. Roll the heavy ball along the grass. You try to get it toward the little white one, right? That's what you do. I remember years ago, I'm supposed to be a school teacher. Years ago, I took a bunch of kids, grade five and six, and uh, to the local lawn bowling club. We'd set it up. I said, hey, do you guys want, I want my kids to like experience something new. Lawn bowling is literally rolling a heavy ball towards some other ball. These very nice volunteers who were doing their best spent 25 minutes talking to the kids mm -hmm. about how they're supposed to roll this ball and my students you know that they, they were great they were like being respectful and they were trying to listen and with like 25 minutes on roll a ball down the grass they just want to do it no kidding right and this is kind of the approach that i i mean we adults feel the same way frankly 
But um, I would with kids and say, let's don't worry about the scoring. Don't worry about the technique right away. Don't worry about the rules. Don't worry about that. Let's just see if they can get hitting the ball. That's the fun part of pickleball. And it may mean that they start hitting the ball by themselves early on. We call that self-rallying, right? Just so they can get to control it. Maybe it means they play with a partner back and forth or the wall. Maybe one person even has to toss the ball so it's controlled and the other gets to hit it. But let's get them like hitting the ball first, right? I would say with those nine and 10 year olds, if I remember the question correctly, um, that, you know, they leave saying, wow, that was so fun. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't know the rules of pickleball, even if they don't know the scoring yet. Right. But if you can get them to walk away and say, oh, that was so fun. Then when they come back that next time, they're going to be eager to be there. Right. Um, so, you know, I often think that whether an activity is interesting or not is a little bit less about the activity itself and more it's about how it's presented. Mm-hmm. If this is presented as pickleball is like something that you do, you hit the ball, you move, you chase it, you run around. Right kids or adults even are going to be more interested if it feels like pickleball is a thing where you have to learn all this information before you can even touch the ball well yeah it's going to be a lot less interesting um the other thing i would recommend besides going to pcipickleball.com and checking out the free intro instructor course uh we have a little guide for kids if you go to pb for kids pb the number four kids.com you can see it. it's like 10 bucks and I, I took my daughter out there and we did a whole bunch of um, little drills and games that were fun that can get new players uh, out there and enjoying it and being a little bit silly and having a great time. Thank you for that. I'd also mention, Lynn, that statistically 70% of kids quit sports by the age of 13. And the number one reason they quit is because it's not fun. So if you can find ways to make pickleball fun and interesting then they're going to stick it out. And I would also say if you don't have fun doing it, they're not going to have fun doing it. You have to have that enthusiasm too. A couple more questions. Both of these are are similar. Um, Where do you see the game headed? Aggressive, defensive, use of lobs, misdirection, reading your opponent's body language to anticipate shot. And then also with the growth of pickleball, what do you see as the challenges over the next one to three years? How do you see the game changing and what do you think the challenges are for pickleball in the future? Okay. So first of all, um, from the game changing, look, it's like a cat and mouse situation. So um, let's take a different sport that maybe you're, all of your viewers are familiar with, right? Let's say we take basketball. Well, if all of a sudden, um, so here's a nice little change in basketball is we now see with some players coming in, we see all of a sudden they're now shooting baskets from long range, right? Steph Curry or whoever, right? They're shooting from a long range away. And so all of a sudden that this offense has changed, that they're getting faster and they're shooting from the outside. Well, all of a sudden then a team says, well, wait a second, we have to learn how to defend against this, right? Here's a new style of play that we're not used to seeing. So all of a sudden the defense has to change and evolve to be able to respond to this new offense. Well, what's going to happen is when that defense responds to that new offense, well, then the offense needs to figure out a way to respond to the evolving Mm -hmm. defense. So there's like this whole dialectic going on between sort of one side of the ball and the other, the offense, Mm -hmm. the defense, and as one changes, the other it changes, right? Well, the same is happening in pickleball. And we have seen um, very much over the last few years that Unlike when I was first introduced to pickleball, how it's all about the slow game and supposed to be soft. You know, I was talking about other instructor certification courses, which are kind of advocating that. Um, 
Well, what happened is players said, wait a second, why would I hit slowly to this player? If I could just blast it at them and they can't handle it, that seems like a good idea, mm -hmm. right? So we started to see things speeding up and we still continue to. Well, then what happens is you say, hey, I'm tired of these balls blasting at me. I need to learn how to defend. And so now the defensive skills are becoming so much better. So again, this dialectic is still happening within pickleball. And that changes um, both the tactics that players use and the technique the players use. We're seeing, for example, more players, even the men, using two-handed backhands, mm -hmm. right? One reason is this allows them to use a forehand grip on the forehand and to even use that same grip on the backhand. And though even though it's in a weak position, they can use their other hand to support it, right? So again, we're seeing this evolution. The players coming into pickleball, especially because there's more money now, are getting bigger and faster and stronger. The equipment is evolving very quickly. There's essentially an arms race between all of the companies to figure out who can make a paddle that can produce the most amount of spin. Mm -hmm. The more spin you can create, the more you can do with the ball and the more you can hit hard and still keep the ball in play to the point where there's now sort of like, like crises going on in the sport with legal versus illegal paddles. Mm -hmm. So I think that to answer the question about more like offense versus defense, I think it, it's yes. Right. It's not one or the other. This dialectic will continue between those two in terms of the sport and challenges in the next few years. Um, you know, there has been more money coming in and there's a bit more of a mainstream push. You can now start to see pickleball in many, many places you didn't before. Um, I think it will be interesting to see. Uh, there's still not a huge demand for pickleball as a spectator sport. And. Those numbers, yes, they are increasing, but it's largely like current players mm -hmm. who are then watching it, mm -hmm. right? If you take like an NFL game on a Sunday, the majority of the people watching an NFL game are not football players. Right. They're fans. They're spectators. They're people who want to watch it. Pickleball has a little bit of a problem right now where the majority of the people watching it, the vast majority, I would say, are also players. So they're, they're, the challenge is how do we get those people who aren't the diehard pickleball players to still be able to sit down and watch it, right? Or pay 10 bucks for a ticket to go watch some of the best players play, even though they themselves aren't. And it's interesting sort of seeing some of the different efforts being put in. Some of them are very costly efforts to be able to kind of grow that audience because without that audience growing, um you I don't get the sponsorships you don't get the sponsorship money coming in and if the sponsorship money coming it sort of slows everything so it's sort of this vicious cycle so i think that's one of the challenges is like how do we get pickleball to be a sport that's not just played by a lot of people but even watched by more people who just play it i've for the last 10 12 years have been heavily involved in racquetball and uh, i'm actually going to commentate in south carolina this the tomorrow so a long drive ahead of me this evening but i a lot of those players don't have a full-time coach or or may not even have a coach period they tend to coach themselves and learn through trial and error and, and now that i've gotten into pickleball over the last 12 18 months and and i'm now coaching it i've been asking that question on the the social media groups, et cetera. And, and the typical response is, yeah, most of the pro players don't really have much of, of a coach. Given that there's more and more money involved in being successful in pickleball, and 
you know, pickleball professionals can make good money. Why do you think there is that disconnect between pickleball and say tennis where, you know, pretty much everybody's going to have at least one coach, if not a team of coaches? Right. So it's a good question. Um, like, I think the short answer is that pickleball is still a baby of a sport, hmm. right? If you take as an analog, you take professional tennis, um, most of, not all, but most of the coaches of elite tennis players were at some point themselves an elite tennis player, right? So they've now aged out of it, right? But they have gone through the grind. They know what it's like to be on the pro tour. They understand like all those things. Again, we talked about, um, about an elite athlete being able to like not everyone can understand what that life is like, right? So again, you can have that kind of um, that conversation with a coach who, yeah, maybe they were that elite athlete back in the 90s and they aren't anymore, but there's still like some commonality there, right? Because pickleball is such a baby of a sport, um, in very few cases have we had these elite players essentially age out of it, not because not because they weren't elite anymore, just because they've like, they've gotten older, right? They've gotten past their prime and they're still involved. Um, a good example to me is like Simone Jardine, right? She's 42 years old. She announced earlier this year that she was like retired. She's gonna put one more year into it. And then after this year, she's gonna sort of step away from playing pro. Someone like Simone, like I imagine, I was commenting at US Open last week, there were like a whole bunch of like 15 year olds that are now coming through. And imagine how valuable it would be at some point for that 15 year old to have someone like Simone in their corner to be able to coach them because pickleball is such a young sport and the whole coaching infrastructure hasn't been built yet. I mean, I, we're making a small contribution to building it, I hope. Um, but even so, like the coaches we are working with are mainly working with intermediate level players, right? There are very, very few people in the world of pickleball right now who are going to be able to help these elite players like get even better. And so I think it's almost like we need a little bit more time for this generation that we have now that's been developing over the last 10 years um, for them to kind of finish what they're doing at this elite level, to kind of age out of it, to let that next generation come through. And then I think we'll have people who are not just out there teaching group clinics and running camps for the masses, which right now many people need, of those players need to do because that's one way they supplement their income, mm -hmm. right? But when that generation can kind of get through and the next one comes behind, I think then we'll see a lot more where the analog of professional tennis is you're like, oh, you find someone who used to be a pro who still understands the game well enough and can see where it's going. I think. I think that's where we're going to be. So I would say probably in the next like five to seven years, mm -hmm. I think of someone like Morgan Evans, who's a colleague of mine. Um, he is someone who, you know, we have a, a shared sponsor with Selkirk. He is someone who's the company Selkirk said, all right, Morgan is going to be our like team coach, all the sponsored Selkirk players at some of these big tournaments. Morgan is going to be there. He's your guy in your corner. You need some coaching. He's out there. You need a warm up. He's out there. Right. Morgan's still an excellent player. He's a couple of years older than me. Um, he's still an excellent player, but uh, he is now someone who is no longer like 
at the top of the game when it comes to those players. I don't think he wants to be. He's now coaching Simone, right, in singles. So I think we're going to see a few examples of that, and I think we're going to see more of them as these players um, start to turn their attention away from competing at the highest level and start helping other players do that. Yeah, I want to counter that just a little bit by by suggesting that all not not all great players make great coaches. And and I think there's a danger sometimes of, oh, well, you're you are a great player. You know what it would took to win X, Y and Z. Therefore, you should be able to translate that into my game. And, and without don't get me wrong, a lot of great players become great coaches. But I think there's also that we've got to be careful not to make the assumption that just because somebody didn't play pro tour or whatever, they can't also be effective as a coach for somebody who is a pro. I was with you until that last sentence. Um, so you think that a, you think that a, a pro coach has to have been a pro player? I think so. For what we see in the majority of coaching situations right now, and we're not talking about elite players or working with the pros or anything, but you go to a pickleball. There's a pickleball camp somewhere, wherever. Um, I think you're absolutely right that if we just pluck a top 10 player and say, great, you're now in charge of working with all these intermediate players to make sure that it's safe and fun and effective and they have a great time and all of that. I, I agree with you 100%. I think that um, there are going to be a lot of, of these very elite players who really struggle and stumble because they don't have necessarily the skill set of coaching right they themselves if they're an elite athlete you just ask them hey can you do this and they're like oh sure and they do it right and it's very hard that creates a blind spot for these coaches working with people who aren't as athletic who can't just do it right and so that's where um a lot of uh, really strong players really struggle to work with um let's call them the average player right um i do think that if you take a top level player a 5.0 and above player who's out there making money and doing whatever that it will be exceedingly rare that they find someone who um, helps them perform better who they themselves is not nearly that same skill level the exceptions i think would be someone who um the real like stumbling block is a um, a psychological aspect of the sport, right? I was out there the other day shooting some video in, in Florida and Tyson McGuffin was out there and, and uh, he made a joke or, or something about, you should come out and coach me. And, and he said, no, what, what I need is a psychologist, right? So I think if there's players where they're plateauing because of something psychological or something physical. They're missing a sports performance coach rather than a technique strategy coach. I think in that case, yeah, that might be the piece of the puzzle that's missing. Okay. But I think it's going to be very, very hard. It'll be even harder to get the buy-in, right, from the player. It's like, okay, here's what. You, you play what? You play 3.5? Yeah, play I can agree player. with that. I can and agree with that. You're going to come and – I think that's going to be, that's going to be tough. Um, but in the same instance, I, I mean, this is a fun debate, right, uh, because – because there are a lot of coaches out there if, outside of pickleball who almost either didn't play the sport or didn't play at very a high level. And if, you know, as an example, Bill Belichick, mm -hmm. arguably the greatest football coach we've seen in our generation, mediocre football player. 
-hmm. And so, I mean, that's just an example. So I, I think it's, it's an interesting area of discussion because you have some elite professional players who go on to become extremely good coaches, but you also have some who go on and don't do a very good job at all when there are other people in the, in the sidelines who, okay, they're competent performers, not necessarily elite. Who, who knows? Maybe they started when they were 35 as opposed to when they were 15. And so they never got that opportunity, but they went and got the training and they went and got the certifications and learned how to do it where yeah, the other cool. person relies on what their experiences are. So it's, it's that, it's that balance. I think, I think having both perfect, right? Great, great pro player went on to become a great pro uh, coach works perfectly. But I, I think there's a danger there of just making some, Oh, well you were on the pro tour. So that will translate into coaching. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It can, it can, it can definitely be dangerous to go too, too far that way. I think this is where, um, I go back to my argument that because pickleball is such a baby of a sport, mm. it doesn't have the infrastructure. So if you look at, um, like, let's say your, your other examples, right. You will often see, um, play coaches who excel in what we might call the minor leagues, mm -hmm. right. Our Toronto Maple Leafs, right. Sheldon Keefe, our coach right now. I mean, I remember years ago when I was watching him coach like the farm team, right. And Mike Babcock, the like renowned like Hall of Fame coach, was was coaching and didn't. And so what happened is because Sheldon Keith had so much success at these lower levels, he's proven himself as a coach, right? And then he goes up, and then he goes up, and he goes up, right? That's what I mean by the coaching infrastructure. Or you see that um, in college sports, you'll often see this, right? Is that although the, there's not always a, always a perfect transition between coaching college sports and pro, but you know what I mean? Is I there's there are steps along the way for coaches to continue to develop their skills, to show their skills, to prove themselves, to learn from the teams that they're coaching. And so, yeah, we can look at a Bill Belichick or we can look at other examples of, yeah, we now see them at the top level. But if we care to look at it, we can go back and track how they sort of climb that ladder based on performance. And we can't yet do that in pickleball mm -hmm. because the sport itself is so immature. Mm -hmm. So really, what have we got? Well, we've got like, well, I don't know. How good are our player of you? Right. right. And so that's where, um, you know, I'm proud of what we're doing with Pickleball Coaching International to continue to try to push this conversation a little bit and to start to push back against some of the conventional wisdom about how to play or how to coach. Um, I'm really proud of the work with I, that I do with, I'm back with Tennis Canada now as their head of Pickleball Coach Education. This is in partnership with Pickleball Canada. And so we're working hard in sort of these different directions to build the coaching infrastructure um, to start to think a little bit more about it and then to support the coaches who kind of want to get more involved. Um, and I love, I love it when I see an elite player who then says, hey, like, what do I need to do to be part of PCI? Mm -hmm. And I know already, I know they're going to be a good coach. I've seen them out there. I see how they interact with people. But the fact that they still want to do it and they're curious and they want to go through the the whole program to me is a really great sign, right? So we're trying to do what we can here, but I do think that as the sport continues to grow, um, that we'll start to see a little bit more of that in the same way we see it in other sports. Yeah.
Yeah, looking at, at pickleball as, as maybe a newer newer set of eyes on the sport compared to, to racquetball where I've been for the last decade, there's a lot of similarities across them. And for me, I see a lot of these athletes, they, they have the, the technique, they have the strategy, but it's the, the nutrition, the strength and conditioning, the sports psych, it's all the ancillary areas that they don't have somebody providing them with that content. Mark, I, I, thank you so much for, for joining me. And I know we could talk for a lot more, I'm sure. But, uh, but again, I want to be respectful of your time. Well, if somebody does have a question while listening to this on our podcast or watching later on YouTube, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so we're um, like between Third Shot Sports and Pickleball Coaching International, we are all over social media. Um, so you can usually find us any of those ways. Uh, if you just want to send an email, mark at thirdshotsports.com is a, a very easy way to get directly to me or to someone from my team. And um, yeah, we're always happy to, to help, whether it's talking about pickleball specifically or uh, coaching pickleball. Um, yeah, you can email us or you can find us on all the social media. Well, I know I've enjoyed my conversations with you and uh, I look forward to more of them. Uh, thanks again for, for joining us. And just a reminder, everybody, we interview somebody within uh, sports and, and typically coaching every couple of weeks. So be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel or podcast wherever you're watching. Uh, but on behalf of myself, Tim Baghurst and Mark Renison, thank you so much for watching. Thanks, Tim.